2 Corinthians chapter 13, we have been looking at verses 5 and 6 and Hebrews. <laughs> we have spent the last few weeks looking at the call to be genuine. If you would please follow in the reading of 2 Corinthians 13, verses 5 and 6. Test yourself to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourself. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, indeed, you fail the test. But I trust that you will realize that we ourselves do not fail the test. Father, help us to have ears to hear. In a strange day in the church this season, everybody's talking about heaven, but I'm concerned that there's not that many going. Father, as the Apostle Paul has challenged the Corinthians, I pray that each of us will look to ourselves in Christ's precious name. Amen. We have looked in the last few weeks on the ability for fallen man to have intellectual ascension into the things of Christ and never get there. They have the terminology. They may even have a good moral character. None of that makes you saved. And that's strange because we believe that if you just act right, do a couple of things, some good deeds every once in a while and help out, then you must be saved. And the truth of the matter is, the writer of Hebrews understood that, that he was dealing with a people who were biblically savvy. They knew what the Bible said, but they had never committed to Christ. There was a book written back, I want to say the late 70s, that caused more controversy in the evangelical community than any book that has ever been written, and there's still fur flying about it. If you can find a copy of it, I would highly suggest you read it. Okay? And it's a fascinating book. It's called The Gospel According to Jesus. Okay, and what happened in this book was the author was accused of preaching lordship salvation. That was the accusation against him. And if you think about it, you're like, yeah. (laughs) And we had to write a book about this. Why? But what had happened in by the late 70s is that the, there was a great, some people call it a great awakening, a revival that happened in the late 60s. I remember seeing signs about it. You go down the interstate and a big billboard would say, I found it. You guys, some of you guys ain't old enough to know what I'm talking about. <laughs> What's a billboard? <laughs> so anyway, and it would say, I found it. And then it have this number down there you could get a hold of. There was no such thing as the Internet. You had to call somebody. Okay. But we did have pay phones. I remember one time as a young man sitting at the beach in Daytona Beach, Florida for spring break. And these wonderful ladies come up. And said that they had found it. Would I be interested? And me and my infinite wisdom said, yeah. (laughs) I wasn't even looking. (laughs) So they took me up to the room and wanted to share the gospel with me. And that is not why I was in Daytona. (laughs) Just 
Just in case she was wondering. All right. But there was this movement that was happening. You got to understand there was a, 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 a cultural clash going on. Vietnam was geared up. People were wanting free love. They were wanting, there was a lot of drug experimentation going on. And there was this radical break the mold thing happening. And in the middle of this was this quote unquote Jesus movement. All right. The problem is, uh, I'm not sure it was a Jesus movement. I, I think it was some things that people were trying to get an eternal life insurance policy. Okay. I share that because there was a lot of people talking about Jesus at the time. But you were hearing weird things that you don't hear in the Bible. He was a cool dude. I just never perceived Jesus as a cool dude. And when he comes back again, it's not going to be too cool. <laughs> but just, just, just an idea, I'm thinking. What happens is, is that you get this false faith. They can say it. They may even show up at the two high holy days, Easter and Christmas. But the truth of the matter is, there's no commitment to the person of Jesus Christ. And Paul is telling the Corinthians, because there is such turmoil. Now understand, this is the fourth letter. Okay? And there's so much turmoil in the Corinthian church that they don't know what to do. And so Paul says, I need you to examine yourself. The false had snuck in and had started throwing accusations at the Apostle Paul. And basically what they were saying, he wasn't an apostle. But they were taking the title of super apostles. I mean, that's exactly the Greek term that they use. And that Paul wasn't real. Paul was in it for the benefits. All right. And he's calling them first part of verse five. Test yourselves to see if you are of the faith. Examine yourselves. Okay. Now. I find that a fascinating statement. How often have you ever heard that? As a Christian, have you ever been told to examine yourself? Have you ever been told to test yourself? See, we don't hear that. And yet the Apostle Paul makes it. Now, I also know reading the Apostle Paul long enough that he had confidence that when the Corinthians examined themselves... They would recognize Jesus Christ, and he uses this phrase here, in you. You don't hear that much either. So we're never really told to examine or test ourselves, and we're never explained Christ in me. And I want to start tearing these things apart, because I believe that in this day and age, we need this. Desperately. Desperately. Christ in you. Colossians chapter 1 verse 27. You can go look it up. Not right now because we're going to go to Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. 
I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do we recognize that? Do we understand that? Do we have any comprehension of that? Christ in me. The life I live is Christ. And that doesn't say on Sunday, the life I live is Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. He dwells in our hearts. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17. Ephesians three seventeen, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded... In love. Okay. Because Christ dwells in our hearts. We can be rooted and grounded. In love. The apostle John was big into this. John's gospel chapter 6. Verse 56. He. What we just do. He who eats my flesh. And drinks my blood. Abides in me. And I in him. Okay, John's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 20. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. I want you to, did you just hear what he just said? You are indwelt by who? The Godhead, all three, all three. And so exactly what is the problem that you have? I don't understand why the church wants to grab a hold of man-made methods when you are indwelt by God who spoke creation into being. Because there are a lot of people who are sitting there with head knowledge and they have absolutely no heart knowledge. John's Gospel, chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him... He bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. You know what the word abide means? Remain. Remain. It's fascinating. What had happened to the church in Corinth? They hadn't remained. They got to following their emotions. They got to following their feelings. They got to following their experiences. They did not remain. And the truth of the matter is, Christ was still in them. You see the same thing in Colossians. Chapter 3, verse 11. You see it in 1 John, chapter 3, verse 24. What I'm trying to get across to you is, this is not a random statement. 
This is an amazing statement that had the Apostle Paul in awe. And I'm trying to figure out why the church today isn't in awe. Christ in us is the hope of glory. Not your methods, not the number of Bible studies you've been in, not even who under, who's teaching you set under. It ain't got nothing to do with it. Your hope of glory is Christ in you. That's Colossians 1.27 and Romans 8, 9 through 11. It is Christ. Paul has a phrase that he uses a lot. And he always uses it, I use it as an email address. In him. Why? It freaked him out. Think about it. He was a very religious man before salvation. But now he was in Christ. When God looked upon Paul, he couldn't see the difference between Jesus Christ and the Apostle Paul. When God looks upon you, what does he see? The Corinthians, if you go back just to a little ways, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, an interesting statement was made. We've studied this at length. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. See, when a person gets saved, it is visible. You see it. They're different. They are a new creation. They are born again. That is recognizable Proof of true salvation. It is seen. It is visible. I read you the letter of the lady who saw the change in her son. There's something has happened. How many people are going through churches today where nothing has changed? I remember years ago when I was living in evilness. A guy that I was working with, a business associate that I was working with, was a hardcore practicing Catholic. And he was doing everything that I was doing, except he got up on Sunday morning. And he went and told God he was sorry. And I made fun of him. Because we're going to go back out tonight, Sunday night. And it just means that God says you're sorry for what? Four hours? True salvation is visible. The New Testament affirms that people can know that they have been saved. You can know it. You can know it. There's no doubt in your mind. Now listen, it doesn't mean that Christians don't sin. But when a Christian is in habitual sin, they are the most miserable creature on the planet Earth. 
It doesn't mean you won't sin. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, listen, if your sins don't bother you, you are in very, very bad place. Now, listen, we have, we're funny. Everybody's sins bother me. Except mine. Okay, and that's backwards. That's like trying to push a chain. No, your sins should bother you. One of the things that has annoyed me about my time studying the Scripture, I feel more and more guilty. The more I know about God, the worse I can feel sometimes. And I'm sitting there going, why? John Calvin called it worm theology. The more you're exposed to God, the farther down in the dirt you realize you are. And it's, it's when, when I watch Christians who are so anxious about this life and they're not looking for glory. The reason that I look for glory is I'll be out of the presence of sin for eternity. I know that my best worship is wood, hay, and stubble until I am there worshiping in his presence. Now listen. This contradicts false religion. False religion, every one of them, cannot give you assurances of your salvation. I talked to a Muslim one time. He can't know. I said, well, are you a sinner? Yes. And we were on an airplane together and he was on his way to go sin, he said. And I said, all right. And I said, well, then how do you know you're saved? He said, well, you won't know until you see Allah. As soon as you see Allah, you'll know if you're saved. That's why you can line them up. There's one way that a Muslim knows for sure he's going to heaven. Martyrdom. That's why you can line them up. Interesting, isn't it? Well, let me give you one that may shock you comes from chapter 9 of the decree concerning justification by the Council of Trent. It was an argument of Satador versus John Calvin claiming that you can have assurance of your salvation. That's why it was written in the Council of Trent. I quote, No one can know with certainty of faith which cannot be subject to error that he has obtained the grace of God, unquote. Now, people want to know why I don't get along with Catholics. Really? Well, let me give you another one. If anyone says that he will for certain with an absolute and infallible certainty have the great gift of perseverance even unto the end, unless he shall have learned this by special revelations, let him be an anathema. If you even pursue with a certainty your salvation, you are to be accursed. Okay, that's what Rome teaches. Listen, the denial of assurance of salvation flies in the faith of not only Paul's teaching, but all throughout Scripture. Do we understand that? 
Why would the Apostle Paul say examine yourself, but you'll never be able to figure it out? That ain't what Paul's saying. Test yourself. Romans chapter 8, verse 16 says this. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Listen, when your conscience is bothering you, it ain't because you're such a moral person. It's because the Holy Spirit's going, Hey, what are you doing here? For your own homework and your own edification, you can go to 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. 1 John 5, verse 13. I have challenged people who have told me that they are saved. And for whatever reason, I doubted it. Okay? And they said, well, how can you be that sure? Read 1 John. I think every Christian should read 1 John. I think you should read it. I think you should read it out loud so your ears hear what you're saying. And then read it through and say, Hmm, do I fit? Paul's call for the Corinthians to examine themselves is the same call for us. See if you're truly saved. See if you're truly saved. And listen, that would be pointless to tell somebody to do that if it was impossible to discern it. So why would I tell you to do it? I've had this conversation, me and a very dear friend who's in glory right now, used to have a study at my house on Thursdays, and we would get together, and he came up to me several different times and says, how can I know for sure that I'm saved? So I challenge him, read First John. Which part? The whole thing. Read the whole thing. Paul was confident that the majority of the Corinthians would find their faith genuine. And they would experience the blessings of assurance. Do we understand that? How much blessing is in the assurance that I am a child of God? It don't matter what you throw at me. I'm a child of God. You take my life. So what? I was reading an old book (laughs) about a guy who claimed he knew Lazarus. And he was a torment to the Romans. Because he had already been dead, had been raised from the dead. So what are you going to threaten him with? Sending him back there? And it was a fascinating read. Now, I don't know whether this guy was legit or not. But the truth of the matter is, you stop and think about it. How annoying must Lazarus have been? What are you going to do? Kill me? Well, darn. Okay? But see, we get so wrapped up in here, we forget that we are in Him. And you know what? Death is our ultimate reward. 
That is the blessing of assurance. But you know what else if you test yourselves? Those, as he uses here back in our text, fail the test. Those who do fail the test could also experience the blessings if they repented knowing that they had failed the test. I mean, can you think of anything more hideous than to go through your life thinking you're saved to find out you're not? So why wouldn't it be common for us to say, you know, I need to test this thing. If they repent and exercise the blessings of that repentance, they will exercise genuine faith in Jesus Christ. And it's they call it the walk of faith. It's not the run of faith. It's not the jog of faith. It's not the hop, skip, and jump of faith. It's just like learning to walk. You take one foot and put it in front. Go think about your kids when they were little and they would hang on to the furniture and wander around the coffee table or the couch side. And every once in a while, biff it. And get back up. That's why they had big padded diapers. When they hit the ground, they bounce and get back up and hit it again. Also, Paul would have a benefit of them examining themselves. When the majority examined themselves and discovered their faith was real, then they have to stop and realize this. They were fruit of his ministry. That would also prove he was a genuine apostle. And let me tell you something. What a dilemma to the false accusers. If the people all of a sudden evaluated themselves and says, well, yeah, I am legit. A guy writing a book called Triumphalism to Maturity. This man's name is D.A. Carson. And speaking on Second uh, Corinthians, quote, If the Corinthians declared... They have failed the test, then doubtless Paul would have been humiliated. Chapter 12, 21 of 2 Corinthians. But in that case, the Corinthians are in no position to point their finger at anyone. If, on the other hand, they feel that they have passed the test, then since Paul did all the initial evangelization among them, he is the last person They are in a position to condemn. Amen. Listen, if they doubted Paul's apostleship, they would have to doubt his message. See, that was what was going on. Let me put doubt in the messenger, because if you doubt the messenger, then I can corrupt his message. That's the way the war has been since has God said. And it hasn't changed. Let me doubt the message. If they doubt his message, 
then they would also have to doubt their own conversions. See how that works? So, the most convincing proof of Paul's apostleship was the Corinthians' own transformed lives. You know, I I share this with people, and some of you have heard it before. I am not an evangelist. I just, I've been around evangelists. I don't do that. Okay, I just, that's just never been, you know, what I do. My, my passion is discipleship. Okay, and it has been since the moment of my salvation when I got saved. I asked the pastor, okay, what should I do now? And he said, read John. That's it. I just got saved and I got 66 books and I only need to read one. What a deal. Okay, so I decided I'll read it twice. Okay, then I started wandering around and I started figuring out, how's come there's four of these? Why are there four Gospels? They all say the same thing. And it dawned on me sometime later that the Great Commission is not to make converts. The Great Commission is to make disciples. You better have some information to give to the disciples. Okay? At that time, the church was in that mode of let's play. That's when they had the, the multi, what do they call it? Multitask auditoriums. You could put your chairs down in there and, and, and worship, and then you take all the chairs out and have volleyball and basketball. And, and that's how you reached your community. You know what I learned about reaching my community? Live it, they'll believe it. In my life, I have led five people to Christ out of 35 years. I'm not real productive. Okay, five. But you know what I can say? Not one of them backslid. Everybody I was ever talked to says, well, you get saved, you're on fire for about a year, maybe two years, maybe even three years, and then you go away for about ten, and then you come back and you're renewed again. Now, I've seen that a lot. I'll be honest with you. But I can tell you this, that the five people that I have led to Christ, not one of them ever went through that. Okay? Why? Most of these people knew me in my past life, and they saw in me a transformed life. Now, listen, I didn't do it. I had news for you. I didn't do it. I know who did it. Christ in me is the hope of my glory. That is the most convincing proof that the Apostle Paul had with the church in Corinth. If they were truly saved, they had to be a true apostle. Right? If, they're not, if he's not a true apostle, then how'd they get saved? Okay, listen, the serpent is not out making disciples. The serpent doesn't chase lost people. You know why? (laughs) They're lost. 
I don't have to do anything to them. They're fine. The ones that annoy him are the ones who will stand up and say, Thus saith the Lord. Those are the ones who are annoying. Because they could be used to bear much fruit. If they were truly saved, then he has to be a true apostle. Paul knew the majority were genuine. Why? Look what he says there. You will realize. Why? If you examine yourself to see if you are of the faith, if you will test yourself to see if you are of the faith, you will realize Christ in you. And that's what I'm going to start dealing with over the next few weeks. What does it mean, Christ in me? Because I have sat down and wrote out a list of things that people profess is true faith. Okay? Pretty, pretty good sized list. And they'll tell you, they'll go, this is all true faith. And then I went through and found the scriptures that says it's not. And I guarantee you, probably every one of them I give you, you've heard or you might have even believed. But they're not true. And that's what we'll start moving into in the next few weeks. Okay, because I don't want any one of you to stand before my king and my savior and hear, I don't know you. I don't want any one of you. I can't think of anything more horrifying for me than to have one of you be deceived. Okay? So the next couple of weeks, we'll just go through this. And I want to show you Jesus Christ in you. And you can sit and say, well, I've got to change lives. You know what? There's a lot of people who have changed lives. A lot of people have had emotions. A lot of people have made professions of faith. A lot of people have even feared judgment. None of those are true faith. Let me share with you something. I'm going to close with this. and I'll make you think about it. The demons believe. Their theology is greater than anybody's in this room. Guess what? They ain't saved. Nor can they be saved. But they are smart enough to be afraid. Now you think about that. Because it's no different than some of us. I believe. Is that salvation? I believe. I have to believe. Why? I celebrate Christmas every year. So I have to believe, right? See what I mean? You can have the intellectual ascension and it will not be saving faith. And we'll go through this in the weeks to come. Father, thank you for my brother Paul and his challenge to the Corinthians. But Father, his challenge to us today. Father, I pray for these people. Pray for myself. I'll test myself to see if I am of the faith. They will test themselves to see if they are of the faith. They will examine ourselves. And Father, do we not realize, do we not recognize that Jesus Christ is in us? Father, I realize that you were in Paul. And Father, I pray 
that you'll be in every one of us. To your glory and praise, in Christ's name, amen.